Ladies and gentlemen, the spectacular Spider-Man! Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Otto Octavius was weak. Call me Dr. Octopus! From now on, we're poison to Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Welcome back to the penultimate episode covering our fan panels here on Spectacular Radio. I'm Zach Joyner, your friendly neighborhood webmaster and executive producer of the Spidey-Dude Radio Network. And of course, we have our host, the man of the hour, Mr. Greg Bashansky. Hello, and also joining us are our usual co-hosts, Mr. Gerard Delatour, who is hosting right now the newest episode of the of the Return of the Face Eating Flower podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, our most recent Mayday Mondays episode covered, uh, in part, covered Amazing Spider-Man 25, which indeed contains the face eating flower. And also joining us, I am pleased to say, Jesse Betteridge. Hey, guys. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, we'll introduce in a second. As for the real Jesse, Jesse Garrett. And for those of you who miss him, let's check in with Jesse Garrett. We recently had a party for him, which we outsourced to a local nuclear plant. They offered us a deal, and uh, check it out. If you don't mind, I prepared a little musical number for its special night. There is a man. A certain man. A man whose grace and handsome face are known across the land. You know his name. You know his name. It's Mr. Burns. He loves a smoke. Enjoys a joke. Why he's worth ten times what he earns. He's Mr. Burns. He's Monty Burns. Mr. Burns. To friends he's known as Monty, but to you it's Mr. Burns. Burns. Do you mind if I say a few words first? Oh, me, 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 I need all the attention just because it's my party, eh? Ugh. Please don't make me retire. I never married and my dog is dead. I, I'm not done yet. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> now get out, the bar is closed. And now, seriously, we didn't kick Jesse off the show. He's still a member of this cast. As far as I'm concerned, he's still part of this podcast. He's just been very busy lately. Jesse, we miss you, and we hope you can come back on at some point. Um, I'm doing... I'm going to do everything I can to be back on. Uh, things have both calmed down and are about to get extremely hectic at the same time. Like, I think... Uh, since Let's see. Last time, uh, since last time I recorded... Here's a list of things that have happened to me. Gotten married, bought a house, got a wife pregnant, and now I'm about to have that child, and went through about uh, three jobs after getting laid off. So the job situation's steady now, and baby's about to be here, which is going to be crazy. But um, I'm hoping to be able to squeeze in some time to record and chat with you guys. So, 
Well, we hope to have you back on for season two at some point, and hope to get you caught up in the rest of season one at some point. But until then, take care, Jesse. It sounds like you have a full plate, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again as soon as we can. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you. Jesse, tell us about yourself. Well, I am the uh, administrator of the Keep the Spectacular Spider-Man Alive Facebook group, uh, which I believe is pretty much the the largest sort of uh, central gathering area for, for Spectacular Spider-Man fans, uh, at least as far as I know on the internet. Um, I'm also, I also made the uh, a Tumblr, uh, the uh, Goop in My Hair Tumblr account, which for the longest time was actually the only Spectacular Spider-Man um, uh, specific tum- uh, blog on, on Tumblr. Uh, that seems to be changing now. More people seem to be uh, be focusing on that title on, on Tumblr now. Uh, basically, if there's any any major kind of movement towards Spectacular Spider-Man on social media, there's a very good chance that uh, I was responsible for it. So this <laughs> is all your fault. <laughs> so you are, less, yeah. you're the reason he keeps getting asked if the show is coming back. You're you best. Well, okay, I I need to clarify. Like the intention of the Facebook group was never to bring the show back. I think we all pretty much understand at this point that the chances of it coming back, at least in the form of a of an animated TV show, is pretty much impossible. The uh, you you would be surprised as far as, as, far <laughs> okay. as how many as far as how many people don't know that. Well, okay. Um, the purpose of the group, though, was to kind of ensure that Spectacular Spider-Man continues to have a visible presence online. And I have to say that it usually doesn't. Uh, the fan base of Spectacular Spider-Man is kind of strange in that it doesn't really make itself known or, or visible or seen online. In, in, in that respect, it's kind of the exact opposite of the Young Justice uh, fan base, uh, which is almost inescapable sometimes. Um, What's interesting about the Spectacular Spider-Man fan base, though, is that when they, 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 do, they do buy things, like you put a Blu-ray set out, they will come out of the woodwork, and they will purchase it. But when it comes to actually maintaining a, a sort of visibility or, um, or kind of old school, they don't, uh, they don't bring a lot of attention uh, to themselves or the title a lot of the time, which I, I, I found is okay, because that sort of matches a certain kind of character for that fandom. But on the other hand, it's kind of problematic because there's this risk that, you know, Spectacular Spider-Man will kind of be forgotten or put on the wayside because Marvel certainly isn't interested in sort of promoting or bringing attention to it. So I figured that a Facebook group and actually it's, uh, a lot of its success can be attributed to Josh Keaton, who joined the group and then started mass inviting people. And then it kind of blew up from there. I remember when that happened. As I recall, when the group was founded, we were still hoping for a third season. We were, yeah. I I was trying to be realistic at that time, though. <laughs> in my in my exact in my exact titling of the of the Facebook group, I uh, yeah, right, I mean, it was, tried to proof. I, I believe it was spring two thousand nine before we even found out that uh, Marvel had given the rights for the television back to I don't know took it back from Sony. Yeah, I misspoke there. Ironically, well, but yeah. Uh, ironically enough, I think it came up. The only reason I'm saying this is because it came up today in my Facebook uh, memories. But uh, I'm pretty sure today is like the fifth or sixth anniversary of, or no, the fifth anniversary of the of the Disney buyout. So kind of a symmetry there because that kind of was a direct result of what happened with Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, I, they happened really. The timing was uncanny. Yeah, I mean it. it <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what Greg is trying to say is 
Disney's lawyers, we're not implying a direct causality between these things. We're just admitting that it looks a little funny. Please don't sue us. <laughs> yeah, none of us have any money. <laughs> and, and we don't want to battle Disney lawyers, because damn. Um, the, go on, Greg. Yeah, the funny thing is, I, I, I remember I was in the room when Greg Wiseman found out that Sony gave the TV rights back to Marvel. It was, a la- it was at the last gathering of the Gargoyles. We were having a big, spectacular Spider-Man track that weekend a lot of the voice actors were coming and uh it was the it was i believe it was the thursday before the con the con was supposed to start the next day and we were getting things ready we were in the con suite he was hanging out with us and then he got the call from vic cook it was a little bit awkward i hope you didn't have any glass nearby (laughs) he doesn't drink no i meant like glass that could be broken very easily if i recall at that point um we already people had already realized that the toy line had been pretty much uh, killed off at that point too. Um, I think there was a like a when Marvel presented their um, when Hasbro presented their new toys for the year, uh, people noted that the spectacular Spider-Man branding had completely vanished, and they had even taken some existing spectacular Spider-Man toys and just replaced the head on them to make it not look like the spectacular Spider-Man version. Yeah, I remember that. As I yeah. recall, so around that time, there were only a few more trickling out, like the new Doc Ock, the second Doc Ock, yeah. the Vulture Shocker. Yeah, that was like the last gasp, uh, which is unfortunate because if I recall, I, if I recall correctly, the toys actually started selling well uh, when they got to the phase of the toys that actually resembled the characters in the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like again, this is, we'll, this is the we'll, of- we'll talk about this especially with Venom in the next one. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, this is the type of show where you know it moves merch. The fans will buy stuff when you put it out, but if you're not giving them anything to bite on, then it just sort of recedes and and uh, yeah, less visible. So I'm really glad we're having this discussion right now because not a week goes by. Whenever we post a new podcast, someone will always comment, "Is there going to be a season three? Is there going to be a season three? As I recall, and I had to, and I actually deleted these comments on the Facebook group because this guy got really abusive. We posted an episode of this show was an interview with Greg on Keep Spectacular Spider-Man Alive, and somebody called our podcast worthless because we didn't ask him what he considered to be the most important question: Is there going to be a third season? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> because well, <laughs> folks, folks, can we? Can, it is not legally possible for there to be a third season unless there's a new deal between Sony and Marvel, and that ain't happening. Yeah, and I, I think... please, please understand that the TV rights, the movie rights, the video game rights, etc., are all separate things. Yes, and the animation rights, you know, because you have oh yeah, yeah, TV animation and TV live action are themselves separate elements. Also, yes, yeah, yeah. So I mean, here's the deal. Sony has control of the live-action rights in movies. And that's it. And that's it. That's all they have. They, 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 went, to both, they went to Sony and Fox, because Marvel does have the X-Men rights, and Fantastic Four rights, and to everything but live-action. And they made a similar deal. Also, merchandising goes from, it used to be with Sony... Sony used to have all of it. They used to have merchandise, anything Spider-Man related. They had everything, which is why the first three movies are so much more profitable than the last two movies, because all the merchandising related to that mo- to those movies goes to Marvel, not to Sony. Yes. So 
that's also a significant deal, and that's something that nobody ever talks about. But that that when that was lost, Sony lost a huge chunk of revenue. Because I mean, what was it? Uh, I think it was either last year or previous year. They made a, Disney made a billion dollars off of Spider-Man specific merchandising. So there's that. I you know I I think on the on the same Facebook page on the last uh, episode we we posted because it happens every single time. I actually got involved and said, "Look, this is this is it makes more it doesn't doesn't just make sense for them legally. It makes sense for them financially because they would essentially have to buy from Sony, who owns all the spectacular model spectacular Spider-Man models. They'd have to buy from Sony all the models, have to try to bring back the entire voice cast." To do a third season when they when it was made for more financial sense as much as I hate to say it for them to start clean start with a new slate and use Spider Man as a means to launch other cartoons like they did with uh, the Avengers show which I loved Earth's Mightiest Heroes and, and it was far superior than Avengers Assemble but that's yeah I mean, but they used that as leverage to is to open up their animation universe so yep. like it or not. From a cost-benefit ratio standpoint, it makes much more sense for them to launch their own their own show. And as much as I don't, as we've disliked that show, and we've talked about this on the show, uh, it, it we have to we have to go with the old phrase: "It is what it is," and we have to enjoy the show for what it is. Agreed. And believe me, those of you who say the show is worthless since we're not asking about the third season, nobody wants a third season more than most of us here. We all want it. But we live in the real world, goddammit. Yeah. And by the way, uh, as far as the uh, future rights, as far as Spec Radio, or Spec Radio, as far as the the Mm -hmm. show goes, Spec Whitey, uh, Sony does still own everything they produced i.e., like Zach said, the design work, the actual content of the episodes. That's why there's a Blu-ray that came out post-Disney you know, trade-off and such. But, it was the only- and, and that ties in, because that means the value of this show is essentially that it takes the place of the director's commentary that you never got on the Blu-ray. So the Wiseman episodes are your, your commentary tracks, and these fan panel episodes are basically like the discussion panels that you would get as like a featurette. So look at the show that way, and you can see where the value is. Mm-hmm. And we all enjoy doing it, or else we wouldn't be doing it each and every time. <laughs> at at yep. this point, I would just be happy if Spectacular Spider-Man could get back on Netflix. Because I think we've hit, we've hit that point now where having the show on Netflix would probably help sales more than hurt it. Because I think almost everybody who who cares enough to buy the Blu-ray, has done so already. And, yeah, you know. as I recall, the Blu-ray was a big seller on Amazon. When it came out, it was the number two selling action Blu-ray that was only eclipsed by the second Hobbit Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we might net, we, you know, it might be worth talking to someone like James Harvey from Toon Zone to get better uh, figures, but I, I think it's safe to say that, that this Blu-ray sold way better than anybody expected it to. Like, and it, it's, it's sold hard. better than I expected it to. And I, yeah. and I have, like, unnaturally optimistic outlook on the size of this fandom. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm going to say this right now, that Blu-ray was the best thing to come out of Amazing Spider-Man 2. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, I, I, I put in my Blu-ray today to watch the episodes. I forgot there's a trailer for Amazing Spider-Man 2 on it. I, I cringed. I just skip the trailers every time I pop my Blu-ray in. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know what's on it. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, okay. And uh, speaking of the movies, since we mentioned that, um, Marvel is um doing with Sony. I'm not entirely sure what the relationship there is. They're doing Spider-Man: Homecoming. It takes place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There seems to be some spectacular influence on there. I mean, they have a Hispanic Liz Allen, for example. Uh, I'm 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 not gonna buy that there's spectacular influence on this movie until I have like some kind of certifiable. So something more. Someone has actually seen it and and kind of verified that. <clears throat> yeah, but they're but well, one of the things that they're doing, which is similar to what Spectacular Spider-Man did, is they're updating the uh, some of the characters to make it look like Queens does in real life mm-hmm. in 2016. And let's be honest, what Queens probably looked like in 1962 also. You mean they're going to have a scene where Peter Parker got stabbed for money? <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 they're going to have a scene where he lets Uncle Ben die over chocolate milk. <laughs> no, I'm not touching that one. Wow. Just wow. That's mm. all I have to say. But uh, I know where Greg's going with this, and I'm... Ugh. <laughs> the, only thing I, the only thing I have to say is right now, the rumor is is that this actress, Zendaya, is playing Mary Jane Watson, and some of the... Uh, backlash against that has been obscene. Mostly because that's, some people are un, do not like the fact that a black actress is playing Mary Jane Watson. And and I'm thinking, just give her a chance. I mean, I've seen her in a couple of things. I've seen pictures. She, I get a, ver, a Mary Jane vibe from her. I mean, yeah, you know what? I'd miss the red hair also. Hopefully they'll dye it. I don't know if they will. Because I do believe the red hair is iconic. That's the only reservation I really have, but I'm at least willing to give the girl a chance. I mean, it's just... It reminds me of some of the reactions that Spectacular Spider-Man got from a certain segment of the fandom who were uncomfortable with some of the race changes there, and I remember some of them called them radical character changes, and I would look at people who would say this, and by the way, I'm not about to diss this character, because I thought Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2 was a great character. I loved Alfred Molina. I loved him as a villain in it. But he wasn't the Doc Ock from the comic books. He wasn't that mad scientist. He was more of a good man gone gone bad. Ultimately, he meant well. He wasn't the master planner. I thought that was more of a radical change to a character than updating the skin color. But that's just my opinion. I mean, I still... I'm not dissing that Ock. I thought that was a great Ock. The, the most radically changed Midtown student in... Spectacular Spider-Man is probably Gwen Stacy, who's one of the ones that kept the race the same. <laughs> oh yeah, and and believe me, we'll be talking about Gwen a lot more in the next episode. Episode, so stay tuned yeah. for that one. I, I will say that, like, of all the characters in like the the primary cast of of Spider-Man, regardless of what version you're looking at, I I think that there's only one character who kind of essentially has to be white, and that is J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, because his characterization in both like positive and negative senses are is built on that idea that he is this, you know, kind of larger than life, super successful, privileged white guy. And again, both the positive and negative aspects of his character are built off of that. If you changed his race, you would kind of fundamentally change the character in some way because you'd assume he had some kind of oppression in his life. But I don't think you can make that argument for like almost any other character in the in the series, though. Right. I'll say this about the uh, the whole Mary Jane Zendaya thing. By the way, I hate when people have single names. Her name is Zendaya Coleman. Can we use her full <laughs> name, please? Um, but <laughs> to, to call back to an old George Carlin bit, get a fucking last name, will you? All right, that's getting bleeped out, by the way. Um, 
but as far as, far as that whole, the, the, oh no, race changes, I'll, I'll go back to the argument that I always have, which is that I'm generally against it, but for a different entirely reason entirely than most people are, which is that it annoys me when you have to use that as a justification for getting characters of other races into movies and such. I would much rather them be either original characters or adapt already existing minority characters into movies. For a couple of reasons. One, because it changes the conversation, as we experience every single time. The fact that we're having it right now, as an example. Um, But also because it gives an opportunity for a lot of these original characters to be introduced and say, this character has always been this way and get behind it in that way. Whereas, if it's like, oh, wait. So you pick up a comic book and Mary Jane's white, and, you know, it's like, oh, um, what? You know, you you go to say, somebody goes to see the movie... And you're like, hey, you know, I like this character, and she looks like me. Why don't I get some comics to like? See? And then it, boom, it just blows up because it's inconsistent. Yeah. Where, whereas a character like the Black Panther, I'll go to the movie, see it, be like, oh, oh my God, Black Panther is, is in a, this guy is cool. I want to see like what the comics are like. And then you can go back to the comics and the animation and such like that, and you get you get the full breadth of the character. I'm kind of neutral on both of those approaches, but I will say that way of doing it is an excellent way of building new brands too or building yeah, up yeah. existing brands. Yes. Uh, and, and, of course, and as I always have to disclose in this conversation, I have to mention I am three-quarters black, just in case anybody has to ask, because it always comes up. <laughs> well, this is the internet. Look, you so. don't look black, Gerard. Well, that's where the one quarter comes from. <laughs> I ended up with a really messed up, uh, 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 like, curly, nappy red hair. No sense at all. <laughs> but uh okay here's my two cents and i will say this there was we have some people certain people that we're thinking of when we're talking about this that were <clears> that <throat> i think this is jorge fruitman <laughs> i'll be honest with you the i'm gonna surprise you because i just had some of this debate um not too long ago in a recording um, that particular person that you specifically were alluding to, Gerard, actually shares the exact same thought as Greg. That he, Whoa. Yeah. It, it, the only thing he said, the only thing that I want her to have if she's going to play Mary Jane is the red hair. So I'm, I'm sure this has nothing to do with the fact that I called him out on this the last time. <laughs> nothing. I'm sure he's just sort of like how Ashley just showed up on the show immediately after I called the show sexist. But (laughs) but I will say this: I mean, look, Zendaya. There, I have a few people in my head that I I felt like that were a part of the Disney corporate sphere that were natural redheads that I felt like could be Mary Jane. I I still really don't think that that she's going to play Mary Jane. Um, just because I don't... I think they would have announced something by now, or at least said she's not playing Mary Jane at this point, considering how big this news has gotten. Yeah, and the thing is, is what's been frustrating to me is watching these, like, NBC News runs a story where they're quoting this rumor and, and accepting it as fact when none of the the standard uh, variety... Hollywood Reporter. Nobody has reported on any of this. They reported on the backlash, but they've not reported specifically on the casting itself. You would have thought, I mean, it's been a couple weeks, we're talking about this a couple weeks later, you would have thought that Marvel would have, you know, started to tap the brakes and said, look, okay, here's what we're going to do. We, 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 you ruined our surprise, yada, yada. 
I really don't think it's going to happen. If it does, fine. I, I'm okay with that. I, you know, I, I, one of the first things I said when it came out was, in Marvel I trust, because they nailed the casting of Tom Holland in a lot yeah. of ways. I, personally, I, I felt like they nailed Tom Holland. We'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes when he has his own movie. Um, but... Yeah, and I get why we're, why we're talking about this because there's obviously a big, there's a segment of this fa- of of Spider-Man fandom that were turned off by the changing of Ned Lee's leads to Ned Lee, the changing of. of <laughs> there was. Yes. I recall a very violent reaction to s- when someone found out that Roderick Kingsley was black on this show. <laughs> so yeah. inconsequential, but anyway. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, and you know, here's the thing. Um... I get why. Here is is my biggest, you know, to me, everybody's like, well, they need to use more of these ethnically diverse characters. The thing about this show is, is it used damn near every character you could possibly think of from the comics, black, white, purple, green, blue, turquoise. Um, They're in the show, pretty much. I mean, there's some notable exceptions. Greg probably knows them off the top of his head. But, I mean, you had Glory Grant in here. You had, I mean, you had... Kobe Brown. Kobe Brown. You had uh, uh, Randy Robertson. You know, all these characters that aren't necessarily in the norm. I mean, Randy, of course, Randy being the son of Robbie, that's a different story. But, but I mean, Kobe Brown? Yeah, he's getting a push right now in the in the new Clone Conspiracy story, which I read the latest issue today, and I wanted to smack myself in the face. But anyway, <laughs> it heavily featured Hobie Brown. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so in other words, he's going to be dead by the end of the story, right? Oh, no, he already died. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I can call this a mile away, man. I'm oh, good oh, at it this. Gets better. It gets better. He died, and then a page later, he came back to life. What? That is the quickest <laughs> resurrection I've ever seen. Oh, Dan Slot, you fucking hack. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. I keep dropping that bomb. Sorry, Greg. I get really pissed off about this stuff. Yeah, Greg. See, Greg, this Dan... is why I don't read the comics anymore. It's just fun to hear these things summarized in a you know, elegant ne- manner. Ne- neither do I. And part of the reason is because I can call all of these things so blatantly. <laughs> so, I just, I didn't even know Clone Conspiracy was out yet. Solely based on the fact that Zach brought it up and mentioned that Hobie Brown was in it. I, I managed to deduce that he died. Yeah, well. <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> like, well. that's, that's how patterned Dan Slott's writing is. But anyway. Um, I keep interrupting you. Sorry, Zach. But, yeah, I, I feel like that there is a... That is not fair to to everybody that worked on the show to sit there and label the show as, oh, as, as, as this um, liberal political correctness, um, social justice... Uh, SJW conspiracy? Yes. Social justice warrior conspiracy. Before this was... Before such a phrase was really around. Um, to me, I, I thought it exists in its bubble. It's not influencing the comics. The co- the comics influenced it, and they damn near nailed everything else. And I know we're going to talk about the movies in this episode too, but um, they they nailed almost everything else. And I think that if you take it for what it is, face value. There's a huge amount of enjoyment that you're missing out if you're if you're sitting there looking at solely as, on the a couple of aesthetics with a couple of different characters. 
Although we wish it would influence the comics more, as in quality storytelling being brought back to Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, and uh, Zach, I, can I address something that you brought up a second ago? Sure. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Marvel has not made any attempt to quell the talk about this rumor. And I'd like to just point out that it's not it's in their best interest that people continue to talk about it. So of course they're not going to of course they're not going to stop it. I mean the I mean they're getting a massive amount of free publicity with this. Exactly. So now, you just sit ba- you just sit back, you wait until I don't know, three months before the movie comes out, you deny it, and then when she appears in the movie and is Mary Jane, you'd be like, hey, we got one on you, just like they do every time. Well, and I'll also... This is, this is becoming a trend now. Yeah. I will say this, though. I think we can all be glad that she's not playing Michelle Gonzalez, because that's a character I never need to see well, again. Well, here's the thing about Michelle Gonzalez, is that she's essentially a blank slate, and they could... I mean, they took Maria Hill, a character I didn't like, and made her likable. Fair enough. So, you know... They in did. that sense. <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to end up fighting you over everything. At the oh, end. my God. What After we're done recording. Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Why are we friends? I, you um, know what's funny? I have a reputation for hating everything. And I just realized it's probably based on which of the Spidey Dude shows you listen to. If you listen to this show or Clone Talk Chronicles, you probably assume that I hate everything. But if you listen to Mayday Mondays, you're like, man, this guy needs to stop being so positive about everything. <laughs> I never got that impression. Usually you're giving pretty high marks anyway, I mean, on this show. I mean, you, you have your uh, comments and concerns, but you still, overall, I don't think you've ever given the show a grade below a C. <laughs> this episode's going to be a little different. Uh-oh. That's why I'm softening people up for that. <laughs> All right. Dun, 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 dun. Any, more, any more comments on the, uh, on the, the race changing and the Zendaya stuff? Nope. Well, then let's move on to the... Nope. Uh, Jesse? Uh, no, I, uh, no, I don't. Nothing to say. Okay. All right. So, uh, we'll move on from that, and we're going to move on to the actual reason we're doing this show, uh, the episode itself, episode 11 of The Spectacular Spider-Man. 12. 12. 12! <laughs> it's 12. Yeah. Oh, I, keep making, I make that mistake all the time, too. I don't know why. But... Yeah. All right. Episode did you, did you do any fact-checking before this episode, Zach? I, I did, but like my brain turned to mush today. It was it was a, it was a weird. Yeah. Daddy brain, as Josh Cotton said. Yes. I'm I'm going to see my kid this weekend, so it's like the, my my dad brain is on. Good. So, um, anyway. All right. So uh, we'll move on from that, and we're going to move on to the real reason we're doing the show is episode 12 of the Spectacular Spider-Man. Correct. Inter- intervention. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, so here's a brief summary. Spider-Man rushes to the hospital having learned of his aunt's heart attack, and is confronted by Eddie Brock. Peter's relieved to learn his aunt will survive, and Aunt May laughs it off, telling him to go to school. However, on his way out, Peter's confronted by the bill for May's medical expenses. And since this is both Zach and I, let's just say, insert your random Breaking Bad Obamacare joke right here. <laughs> Okay. Uh, that would be your hope on change. <laughs> I am the danger. I am I, the as, in, as in, I hope you can find a lot of change in your couch to pay for this bill. Yeah. Uh, uh, I am. I am the danger. <laughs> uh, 
At school, he lashes out at Gwen, MJ, Liz, and the others, and they try to comfort him. Peter storms off and makes his way to the big man's tower, where he, he defeats Tombstone's bodyguards and agrees to accept the gangster's earlier job offer. Tombstone agrees, but tells Superman he is forbidden from fighting crime for one week to prove his loyalty, but he gives him dispensation if a supervillain endangers public safety. At the Connors' lab, Eddie learns he's out of a job and thus unable to attend the SU because the funding given to the, the study of the alien has been withdrawn. Over lunch, MJ comforts Gwen and urges her to confess her feelings to Peter, while Peter returns to the hospital where he is confronted by Eddie, who blames him for losing his job. Peter coldly rebukes Eddie, and the two get into a brief fight before a security guard breaks him up. He ignores a phone call from Gwen and is confronted by Flash Thompson in what I think is the best scene of the show, because I love this version of Flash. This scene was great. And... And then Peter begins to realize the symbiote is negatively influencing him. He arrives at the church, trying to ignore the symbiote's attempts to convince him to keep it. He attempts to rip it off, and during their struggle, he collides with the bell, disrupting the symbiote. He starts to peel it off, but the symbiote engulfs him in a cocoon and drags him back into the center of his mind, where he attempts to convince Peter that he is useless without it, making him relive the death of Uncle Ben. It nearly succeeds, but... but Uncle Ben's memory is stirred and helps Peter restore his resolve, enabling him to, to repel the symbiote. Peter rips it from his body and returns to the lab, where he finds Eddie Brock. Eddie is initially overjoyed to see the alien returned, but when Peter freezes the symbiote in an attempt to kill it, his joy turns to shock and rage. The symbiote br convinces Peter... Eddie to free it from the ice, and Eddie willingly bonds with it, learns that his two enemies are one and the same, and is transformed into the monstrous Venom. Now, we're going to have a lot to say when we get to Gerard, so we're going to save Gerard's comments for last of the three of us. <laughs> I hope you don't mind, Gerard. <laughs> I absolutely do not mind at all. Okay, uh, Jesse, do you want to go first? What do you think absolutely. of this episode? Why do you like it? Okay, so I actually... Uh, a long time ago, I requested that uh, Greg let me speak on this episode uh, to talk about Intervention because it is, hands down, my favorite episode of Spectacular Spider-Man. And it's for a couple of reasons. So, <laughs> I'm tugging my collar now, realizing how uncomfortable it's going to get later. So, uh, a big one. Now, I know that in the last episode, um, Gre uh, Greg Wiseman talked about how... Um, how our town, uh, the play, was a big influence on the scripting behind the episode Intervention. Uh, and you can, you can clearly see that. Um, although, I, I have to point out, I am a Neon Genesis Evangelion fan, uh, a really big fan of that series, and uh, to me, that this episode carries a lot of the same kind of thematic weight and um, aesthetic similarities to Evangelion, specifically the TV ending. Um, uh that that show had. I I, uh, I have no idea if you know Dave Bullock or any of the lead animators for this episode were intentionally drawing uh, on that show. Uh, in fact, I would say they probably weren't. Um, but I do feel that they were drawing from the same place of uh, abstracted uh, representations of anxiety and depression that Evangelion did. Um, so that's a big reason why it resonates with me because I I just feel really really strongly about that and it. Uh, it just made it really click for me. Um, another reason is that I know with this episode, a lot of people focus on the uh, the depiction of the origin story, because uh, that's the first time we see it in the series. Um, but I always really feel, especially in retrospect, that uh, intervention actually serves the same thematic function that uh, If This Be My Destiny did in the original Lee Ditko run of the comics in, in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 33. Now, I know that the 
events in that storyline are covered, you know, narratively in season two. And that's another great episode in, in sheer strength. Um, but I feel that sort of the thematic function um, of that episode, the, the, uh, of that storyline with, with Peter Parker overcoming insurmountable adversity and emerging with a new level of maturity and self-actualization, um, that is what we see play out in this episode, um, except it does it in a psychological way instead of a physical way. Um, I'm not saying that was the intention behind the way that uh, the way that this episode was constructed, but that's like just looking at it at a thematic level. That's really how I feel it played out. Um, much in the same way that in the original comic, I don't think there was any any intention for if this Demi Destiny to have like the the amount of importance and weight that it does today. Um, but in retrospect, intervention just sort of happened to. Uh, embody those traits which i think says a lot about how um how precisely uh, greg wiseman and the gang were dealing with the source material in this case um and i'm not claiming of course that uh the end result is more powerful than than ditko's depiction of spider-man lifting the wreckage um in in that comic but uh it, it really shows how uh the the benefit of the hindsight that Wiseman and, and the staff had to delay the origin story um, because the way that they insert it into here really complements that, uh, that same thematic, thematic, those same themes that we saw emerge in, in that original storyline in, in uh, the Lee Ditko run of the comics and highlights a lot of the connections between the two. Um, and then of course that's combined with uh, this show's interpretation of uh, the symbiote uh, as something that feeds off of negative emotions. Um, and it all just kind of comes together in this sort of incredibly powerful, perfect storm. Um, and I, and I, again, I really love the way that the symbiote is interpreted here because in a lot of previous versions, it's simply evil black goo that is making Peter be bad and evil. Uh, whereas here, it, it actually has a really explicit um psychological function um and that really adds a whole dimension to the the alien costume storyline in general and the and the it, it adds an ex extra narrative beat that you don't usually get in that typical peter is possessed goes to the bell tower disposes of it and then venom comes back a while later uh kind of story that we're used to mostly thanks to the 90s cartoon of course um and that's kind of why I why I like it so much? Why I think it uh, it's an important part of the series? Um, it's not perfect, of course. Uh, on the flip side, I would actually argue that this uh, this this episode it, it has a lot of interesting visual creative choices. Um, but I have to say, it probably has the most lackluster animation of any episode in the series. Um, and 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 I watched this episode and Nature versus Nurture back to back. And it really shows because you go from the really uh, kind of sparse details in this episode to much more kinetic and detailed animation in Nature versus Nurture. Um, uh, a big thing, you, you especially notice this in the last third of the episode where the backgrounds become more sparse and the, the use of gradient, like the black to gray gradient that you see in the background, I think kind of hurts things because it, you know, the, the, when things are done in black and white, they should they should pop on top of the background. They don't. Everything looks really kind of flat. Um, and that kind of makes me suspect that this episode may have had some budget concessions or maybe there wasn't, there, there weren't retakes made uh, when there, when there should have been. Um, but 
on, on one hand, you kind of have there, the, so there are definitely flaws in the animation, and uh, that kind of hurts the episode in a way. But at the same time, I think that those flaws also kind of make it feel more, you know, raw and fragile and human. So it's not necessarily a completely bad thing. Um, yeah, that's sort of my my, my take on it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very passionate, very uh, well thought out. Yeah, I, uh, I I will also point out just while we're while I'm dwelling on these ne- the negative animation that that shot at the end of the episode with the symbiote enveloping Eddie, um, I, I I don't want to if, just in case the person who animated that particular cut is listening to this show I don't want to I, I feel bad about offending them if that's the case but that is the worst looking animated shot in this entire series by far and it's so tragic because that's such an important scene. Um. I just had to, I felt I had to say that. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about the scene where it first envelops him in, in the real world or in his head? In the real world. The, in yeah. his head, it doesn't look quite as bad. But in the world, it's just like, I cringe every time I see that. And just like, oh. Yeah, it does look a bit awkward. Yeah. Oh, they couldn't have are... said that back for a retake. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. Um... <clears throat> this tells you how much I... I pay attention because I really didn't notice anything <laughs> wrong with it. it, it oh, it, I, I certainly did. It, it may indicate that I've watched this episode too many times. I've watched it a lot. And I think about it a lot. Um, <laughs> maybe too much. <laughs> no, 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 you know, you know, you've watched this episode too many times. If you notice during the match between Peter, oh, between Spider-Man and Crusher Hogan, that Crusher Hogan's mouth is moving when he doesn't say a line. Yeah, well, I don't care. It's like a half block <laughs> by his arm. You have to be watching really closely. Actually, so, uh, that, on that note, it actually brings up one one question. I'm assuming that in this continuity, uh, Peter never appeared on TV. Uh, on the Well, he was in the Ed Sullivan show in the original con. Yeah. So there's no answer yeah. to that. Because I like to think that he was on Craig Ferguson at some point, because that's, <laughs> that's, that's the show that would have had Spider-Man. Sure. <laughs> um, he, he jumps out from Secretariat's uh, stable. <laughs> <laughs> What could have been? Yep. What could have been? Um, right. I, I guess on, on one other thing that uh, I, I wanted to say was kind of weird. Um, also, that idea of Eddie having to drop out of ESU uh, because he lost his job at the, the lab, um, despite the fact that he had not even finished one semester at ESU yet, um, <laughs> has he not heard of student loans? I, I'll, I'll address that because I that, actually – that, that has happened to me. I'll get there. Yeah, I uh, honestly <laughs> okay. believe that Eddie is uh... – we can all agree Eddie is nuts, but we'll get to that more in a bit. Yeah. Anything else, uh, Jesse? Uh, that's all I have for now. Okay, uh, Zach? Uh, you know, I like this episode. Uh, I don't love it. And I... I know that, that I, I get the... You know, Greg and I, we... Greg, you and me and Greg talked about this with, with Josh Keaton and, and uh, everybody on the last episode how Greg decided to adapt the, the mainstream origin. I think he tried to take the best of both worlds because there's literally shot-for-shot shot recreations of Amazing Fantasy 15. Particularly when he's cornered the burglar and you have that shot of, of Peter's back and he's kind of in that crouch. You know, it, it's been recreated dozens of times. But where you see in the back of Spider-Man's costume, and he's kind of in that kind of creepy, crouchy, like he's he's tra- stalking um, the burglar, and the burglar is is you know it, kind of between his legs because the way the perspective is. You guys know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I love that it, it had elements of there that in there. 
I didn't mind them using the death of Uncle Ben with the car. Um, I think the problem with the the car scene is that Raimi went to that well three different times, and this was the fourth time that we went to the well. And I get it. I understand <laughs> it. but And I understand Greg's reasoning for using that, but I also get why people are, would have a problem with that particular scene because it was like it was beat to death in the movies. Also, it really, to me, I know Greg really didn't say this, but it felt like, especially as a viewer, that there were, that was where the Sony influence started to come in and saying, okay, well, you have to have, you have to adapt part of our, our, our masterpiece, Spider-Man one into the, into the show. I like the fact that we didn't get the origin in the beginning. I think that that has been something that has been seriously lacking. The one thing I will say that would that helped that spectacular I may have helped with is the fact that we're not getting an MCU Spider-Man origin story. We're kind of just jumping in. Everybody knows how Spider-Man became Spider-Man at this point. I'm sure they'll address the origin at some point. I, I'm sure they'll probably do it like Incredible Hulk, where it's in the it's in the opening scenes. Um, but I and I like I like the Uncle Ben parts, and I don't mind the symbiote the the interaction. I did love how we went from the black and gray to as soon as he is ready to fight the symbiote. Truly, we get that moment of. The red and blues are on, and we're ready to fight. Now, did I love – I, I kind of liked the uh, homage to ASM 100. Um, yeah. But I could have done without it, honestly. And it's not something that was such so uh, integral to the story. Um, I like – now, do I think that the 90s show did the conflict with the symbiote and the, the two costumes fighting in the dreamscape a little more faithfully? Probably, but this takes this inner conflict and enhances it in a way that it needed to be enhanced because I think the symbiote has developed its own personality over time. This is the beauty of hindsight. Whereas that original confrontation was done before uh, other people got their mitts on the symbiote. Agreed. I mean, uh, anything else, Zach? Uh, no, I'm really, I, I'm jonesing to hear uh, De La Tour's We'll uh, get to Delator after me because Delator doesn't have a lot to say. I think he's going to guide the rest of the podcast after this. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a threat. (laughs) He he is a a blowhard, so I mean, this this is, you know, somewhat true. Well, so am I. That's true. (laughs) That's why. (laughs) It's it's a New York thing, Zach. Uh, Although Peter's not a blowhard, but he would have been a blowhard if his uncle didn't die. Oh... But um, like I said, there's a lot of things I like in the episode. I get why it, why certain aspects of it, like what the, Gerard's going to talk about later, would bother some some people. I do think the I think the boarding in this episode is brilliant. I do agree that the uh, animation doesn't quite uh, bring that storyboard into life yeah. the way it should. I do, mm-hmm. But um, I haven't seen the play Our Town. After hearing that it was an influence, I want to. I do like a lot of those influences. And if we're going to get the origin again, and I thought they did it in a in a unique way. I, I, I like it. I like the, the symbiote tries to use the origin as a weapon against Peter, and then Peter ends up turning it back on the symbiote. And we haven't really talked about it yet. I really like Ed Asner as uh, Uncle Ben. And 
I'm going to say this. I love Ed Asner's J. Jonah Jameson. I thought he was one of the best parts of the 90s show, and this isn't me damning with faint praise. I thought he was really good Jameson. But when I think of Ed Asner, I think of, of a more fatherly or grandfatherly type of character. I mean, I think of, say, Hudson from Gargoyles, which is where I was most familiar with his voice work before this. So for me, casting him as Uncle Ben was uh, a natural. I thought he did a really good job, and I also think it's a testament to Ed Asner's skills that he can play both this kindly, grandfatherly type of person and also play a complete jerk, because I've heard him play plenty of jerks and plenty of uh, of TV shows. I mean, there's this character he plays in the boondocks, which is, oh my, which is almost the worst white person you could ever bump into. It's hilarious. But, um, and uh, my favorite scene in the episode is the scene with Flash Thompson, though, because mm-hmm. Flash I mean, was doing, again, like Greg said last time, he was doing Peter a favor. He sought Peter out at the hospital to give him a, uh, to give him some advice in the form of pretty much verbally smacking him upside the head, the only way he can do how, and he knows how, and that gets through to him. I mean, this Flash Thompson is one of this show's strengths. We're going to talk way yes. more about Flash Thompson yeah. in season two. But, um, Just to cut in with one one comment on that. I love the way how this episode uh, had the revelation of his real name, Eugene, and he totally just brushes it off like it's nothing. You, like the, it plays on the expectation that he'd be embarrassed about it, but he he just brushes it off completely in confronting Peter. I thought that was a great you, touch. You mean he doesn't slam Peter against the wall and repeatedly punch him in the face to the point where we wonder why no cuffs are being slapped yeah. on him? <laughs> <laughs> Gerard knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, um... Overall, I like the episode. It's not my favorite of the series, but I, but I do enjoy it. And I'm just thinking back to other retellings of the origin. I mean, the movie's origin story I thought was great. Also, actually, the origin story in the movies is my favorite part of all three of those movies. I think it was really well done, really well adapted, and uh, obviously the production team here thought so, too. <laughs> and uh, the 90s series, I haven't seen the 90s series version of the origin in a while, but I recall a... Did I dream this, or was there a weird dream sequence where Peter thought he was a spider in Aunt May's sink? Yes. There, okay, what was, someone remembers better. What was that about? It's after he gets bitten by the spider, he basically has a fever dream. That happens in every version. It's just that the 90s show is the only one that actually attempted to show what the fever dream was. <laughs> yeah, that's a true story. I almost and forgot about it. In, in both, like, for example, in both Raimi's movies and in this episode, since it rips off the Raimi movies. They, he basically, he just, he, you know, he's grabbing his hand, you know, where, he, where he's in, you know, in bed, that whole scene where he's like in a dead sweat. And then they show all that weird stuff with the DNA and all that, the recombining and all that. That's taking the place of actually showing the, the weird trippy dream that he's having. I remember Amazing Friends did a pretty good uh, adaptation of the origin. I'm a, and I'm not the biggest Amazing Friends fan, but I, but I remember it made an impression on me as a kid when I saw it. I mean, if I went back, it probably wouldn't be as dark as I quite remember it being. But uh, Oh, no, no. That that second season, it was. it's weird to call it a season. Amazing Friends did a quote-unquote second season that was only three episodes, and it was each character's origin was each episode. And those three episodes were probably the best three episodes of the series. You're, you're not imagining that. Miss Angelica yeah. Jane. <laughs> They were also yeah, they were also really well animated because I believe they had a different yeah. studio do those three episodes. Yeah. yeah, and then you have the Aussie, the Aussie uh, Wolverine, which is quite hilarious in retrospect because given that there's an Aussie that plays Wolverine now, even even weirder is that in Pride of the X Men that pilot he was also Australian. I don't For know no what reason. This, 
Why yeah, did they uh, think Wolverine was Australian? <laughs> well, he had, a, he had a line in that pilot where he calls somebody a dingo. And yeah. This was the basis for giving him an Australian accent in there. Uh, <laughs> which I still find hilarious to this day. <laughs> from, from, what, from what I've heard from, I think, Tom DeFalco did an interview once, it was because whoever was in charge of adapting Wolverine in both of those instances, which I believe was actually the same crew, whoever it was actually read the comics and mistakenly believed that Wolverine was Australian based on the comics. I don't know where that would come from. <laughs> yeah, the, well, he sure as hell wasn't American. Yeah, the Wolverine in both of those shows, I think he was voiced by a... It was the same guy who did Green Goblin in the 90s series. Neil, what Neil was Ross. His name? Neil Ross. Neil Ross. Neil Ross. Yeah, he was also Doctor Doom in the first season of the 90s Fantastic Four cartoon before he was replaced by the superior Simon Templeman. He was also Green Goblin in the 80s Spider-Man cartoon. If, if I... No, oh, he's he, not? Was. he wasn't. He was Norman Osborn, the writer of those episodes. Dennis something was the Green Goblin. Oh, okay, okay. I'm, and those, yeah. and, uh, oh, the, the actual and, showrunner was the Green Goblin. Yeah, he was, and... Uh, the uh, funny thing about that is he wrote for both of those shows, Amazing Friends and 81 show, and same both script. were in Goblin. <laughs> yeah, two shows, one script. He used the same script basically for both shows. Yep. Except I think the uh, the 80s show... Wait, you know what? I take that back. I think the 80s... The 81 show also had the costume party, didn't it? Yeah, they did. They both did. With uh, <laughs> Green Goblins in the gymnasium hanging from wires. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my God. Hey, that, okay. hey, that 81 show is actually pretty good. I actually do like it a lot. It, maybe we'll talk about it on this show at some point. <laughs> maybe. Except, except for the weird uh, Doctor Doom storyline that seems to want to be a five-parter, but was non-consecutive for some reason. But, but yeah, that has nothing to do with this show. So, All right, and uh, and now for the main event. Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. i got to put on my flame retardant suit. All right. All right. All right. Hang on. Hang on. Right. Let me let me redo that segue. <laughs> and now for the main event of the evening. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Howard Finkel is here to announce me for the, <laughs> the last part of that. Okay. Okay. I know I'm going to piss a lot of people off. So let me start with some of the positive things. Uh, I, I'm going to echo what everyone said about Flash Thompson. In this episode and in the uh, the finale episode, he's great. Particularly where, where you know he's acting as the voice of reason. Even Peter realizes how weird that is. Was it this one or episode thirteen where he actually says the line like Flash Thompson being the voice of Re-? you know what it was this episode? This one. Yeah, it was this episode. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was this episode. Um, and of course, I love we brought this up in the last fan panel, I believe, but uh, his costume changing design gradually. Where we get the final design here, where it's mostly where the spider is just huge on his chest, and the legs almost basically wrap around all the way. Nearly. It doesn't, for animation purposes, but it very nearly does. I really like that. The fact that they had to commit to that shows that they that they were thinking creatively rather than thinking business-wise, because... For anybody who doesn't understand how animation works, every design iteration you do, you have to pay somebody for. So having the black suit essentially have three or four different stages of design, you had to pay someone three or four times as much money to actually do it, rather than just giving them a lump sum and having them do one version of the costume and then having it be static. So that shows that they were committed to actually showing something, even if it is subtle, and I don't think anyone even comments on it in the episodes, right? 
Like nope. it's it's just there if you notice it, and if you don't notice it, then fine, because it doesn't really it's not required to understand the the episodes. And then uh, this is both a positive and a negative, I suppose, where Eddie loses his grant. And I say this is a positive because one of the complaints of I mean Greg knows this very well how much I hate Venom as a character. I think he shares most of my beliefs on that one. Yeah. But uh and one of the things that really demonstrates what a lousy character is is that essentially every adaptation of Venom has a different motivation for why he turns on Spider-Man. And in this case tying it together with his schooling and his grant and all that stuff is a good approach. Because that is something that would piss someone the hell off really easily. But it also introduces a problem. And I'll say this because I've been in this situation. When I was in graduate school, uh, it was in 2000 and... I started in 07, but this is in 08 where this happened. I was working at a, as an assistantship position at an architecture firm through my school, of course. And it was paying for my tuition because I had both tuition coverage and I was drawing a salary. And... That was around the time that the global recession hit, so I lost my position because it was just eliminated. And I still had, I think, yeah, I still had a full year of graduate school left to do. And, yeah, (laughs) that would cause someone to turn to evil very, very quickly. The reason it doesn't make... That's your supervillain origin story. I get it now. No, no, I'm going to explain here. Here's the thing. You guys know how broke I am. I didn't have a single problem paying for the rest of my school. And here's why. And here's why this doesn't make any sense to me, why Eddie's like, I can't continue at ESU. Eddie, it's November. By this point in the semester, he would have already paid for the semester, A. And B, that would give him until mid-January to figure out how to pay for the next semester. So what the hell's the problem? <laughs> you have two months to figure out your, your financial situation, Eddie. Yeah, that... Uh, also, his his plight is definitely more reflective of a grad student than of an undergrad as well, which is something can, that can be said about everything about his role in the university that we see. Well, well, I, well, yeah, but this is a complaint I've had also about the the high school setting of this episode of this series, which is making it a magnet high school is essentially see to me, it seemed like a way to make it the most college like high school they've, that's ever existed anywhere. And I've, I've had complaints about that since day one where it's just like, if you just want to do a college Peter Parker, just do a college Peter Parker. Come on. I get why he's in high school and et cetera. We, we've discussed this to death, so I won't, I, we won't go there, but uh, all right, now I'm going to start taking swings so I'm going to apologize in advance for anybody that's going to be pissed. And if you want to hit fast forward, go right ahead. Um, because I, I actually really dislike this episode for a bunch of reasons. And I guess the theme of it will be laziness. There's just something generally kind of lazy about this episode. For one thing, um, I don't even have to bring this up because someone else did. This is really poorly animated at times. I mean... By the standards of this show, this is still better animated than probably any other Spider-Man show. I'm not going to argue that. But by the standards of this show, this looks really just below par. Particularly once you start getting into the whole uh, dreamscape sequence, and you're basically just saying, eh, make the whole background black, we'll make it all abstract. I get why they're doing it because it's it's a dreamscape thing, so you want to go for a certain level of abstraction, but I think that was also a compromise that was intentionally written into the episode, but that's just, I don't know, that, that that's just me taking a guess. I can't confirm that. <laughs> um, 
you also have the whole bit with uh, flashing back to his origin and the whole battle there. And I know Greg and I will argue about this, so I'm ready for you to interrupt me at any time. Uh, <laughs> Zach implied that it could have been a Sony mandate. I don't know. Probably, even if it was, no one would admit that. But, I mean, it, at times, it's word for word, shot for shot, the Raimi movies. And I love the Raimi movies, but I didn't need to see that redone in animation. You know what I mean? Everything from the spider scene to he gets into a cage match with a wrestler to try to make some money, and then he says it's not his problem as he lets the guy run by, and then the, the carjacking aspect, which is unique to Raimi's movie, etc. And then, um, oh my goodness, the, uh, the whole speech with Uncle Ben in the car is also almost word for word. You know, you're going to... you're becoming the man that you're going to be for the rest of you, you know, that whole thing. And th- and I'm thinking, okay, I can allow a certain amount of this because this is, when did this episode air? 2008? Yeah, dude, can I say something here? That, that, that does make me wonder what prompted that discussion in this universe because um, we know what prompted it in the Raimi movie. Yeah, especially if, I mean, obviously the, the version of when he left his house that day is changed because of his realization that he's there. You know, when they're ushering him out the door, like, you gotta go to school, that whole thing. But if it happens similarly to that, there's absolutely no reason for that discussion to... Oh, no, it, it, it didn't. It was more of a case, like, it, it was taken from the play Our Town, where this the main character, Emily, she's given a chance to live one day and see dead loved ones she's told not to. And uh, she goes in at first, she's fighting it, kind of, and then she just sinks into it, and then she comes back out of it. So it was pretty much beat for beat Our Town there. That was also the third. <laughs> I love how you admitted ten minutes ago that you'd never seen Our Town. All of a sudden, you can... But, I, but, I've, read, but I've read up on it. I've read up on it. Something is going on, Greg. I think you're bullshit. I read up on it. Also, Wiseman went into detail over it. Yes, yes. I'm sure he did. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the point I'm trying to make is there's something off about the, the way that they... It, it doesn't gel together properly. Where you're taking... I, there, to be fair, there are parts that are shot for shot, word for word, from the comic origin as well. But I don't think those things jive together properly, is what I'm saying. Where It, it, it stands out a lot more. And that Uncle Ben scene in the cars is especially notable as one that doesn't fit. Um, but like I said, I'm thinking, okay, this is allowable because in 2008, 2009, the Raimi movie is still fresh in people's minds. Uh, Spider-Man 3 came out in 07, so this isn't even that far afterwards. It would have been in production while the movie was still new. Yeah. So, you know, that's allowable. But then it starts breaking into clip show elements. And I'm like, okay, this confirms that this episode is just lazy. <laughs> Where he says, oh, well, you know, they, they bring up a line and then, bam, you hit, you hit like a minute worth flash of clips from early, earlier episodes. And then it happens two or three times. Where he's like, well, I have my friends, and here's a clip of clip show of all of his friends, and you know, but I, I've been saving people, and here's all the you know, clip show of all the people he saved, and all that stuff, and I just generally find that it grinds the episode to a halt really badly. Where the first third of it is great, where you're having you know the whole thing with the hospital and, and Eddie confronting him and Flash Thompson confronted that stuff is great. If it was an episode of that, I would love this, but. Once he gets to the bell tower, which, by the way, why does he go to the bell tower in this version? He just sort of goes there for no reason, doesn't he? 
Yeah, Spider-Man 3 also had that problem. Two wrongs don't make a right. I agree. <laughs> I mean, at least in Spider-Man 3, you had an establishing shot where he runs out of the club and the bell tower is the closest place. This didn't even have that. He just swings to a bell tower for no reason. And then he hits the bell and is like, oh, the sound hurts you. It's like, what? <laughs> Something's weird here. But once he reaches the bell tower, the episode goes off the rails for me because that's when the pace slows down to nothing. And it slowly takes him on this cavalcade through his past and all that stuff. And it, it just, it feels off completely. This should have been a five-minute sequence rather than a 15-minute sequence, you know what I mean? Where, uh, I, I just wish that wasn't the majority of the episode. If it was a section, a small section of an episode, fine. But I, I just dislike it. And li- literary illusions notwithstanding, I just don't think it works and I don't think the show earned that, but that's just my opinion. Uh, anything else negative I want to throw in there? Uh, I hate Venom, but we already know that, and that doesn't... Not <laughs> in this episode, so... Really. Except at the end. That's more for next episode. Um, oh, yeah, Pete being an asshole was, was good, I guess. Because at least it gave justification as to what... That's a problem that I have sometimes where... Uh, the 90s show had a slight problem with this, where the, the moment where the realization comes that you need to get rid of the suit has to be a smash. You know what I mean? It worked in Spider-Man 3, because he's like, oh my god, because he just smacked Mary Jane. It's like, okay, that makes sense. It works here, because once everyone's called him out on it, he's like, oh, you know, it starts getting to him after, like, the fourth or fifth person. I don't think it quite worked in the 90s show, and I don't, it, I don't really don't think it quite worked in the... In the well, the comics did it in a different order. Obviously, the the whole bell tower thing didn't come until a couple of years after the fact. But mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, um, I'll say this for the episode: I didn't hate this as much as I remembered at the time. I think part of that is because at the time we didn't have two crappy Spider-Man movies <laughs> that, had just, that had just come. You know what I mean? Because this is yeah. this is right after. And and full disclosure, I like Spider-Man three. So send your hate mail to Spectacular Spec Radio at Gmail is just Spectacular Radio. Spectacular Radio. Send your hate mail to Spectacular Radio at Gmail dot com so I can respond to it. Um, but so at the time I, I was angrier because of how fresh the Raimi elements were. With a little extra time in between, it's not as bad. But I still think it's a poorly paced, poorly animated, lazy episode. <laughs> I actually got it. That was no you know, as bad as I was expecting. You know, yeah. I say, yeah. you, know, you, you know when I gave that line at the end, I think I hurt Zach a little bit because that is kind of harsh. <laughs> that, 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 well, Gerard, I find it funny because a lot of a lot of the things you said resemble the things that uh, both Greg and I said, except you're just emphasizing the the negativeness of it. Because I, I think it's because those elements stood out to me a little more because. Uh, compared to you guys, I think I'm more the more visually oriented guy, whereas you guys are much more interested in the writing and, and that kind of thing. Maybe, Maybe, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a visually weak episode. I think we can we we don't actually know the situation, but I guess we can probably all agree this was probably sort of kind of a budget saving episode. Yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna bring that up if if we were sort of wrapping the show, but I guess I could just bring it up now since you mentioned it. I'm assuming that this is the animation equivalent of a bottle show in order to get the money and the time to do the next episode. Because that one has a lot of set pieces and such. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 design, and especially new designs and things with all the floats and stuff. 
Yeah, I do agree also with what you have to say about how the clip show, as if it was probably to save money. Next season, they do a little bit of that in one episode, but they also mix it in with a lot of new material that we haven't seen. And uh, that was Final Curtain, the last episode, which I think pulled off the whole... And it wasn't nowhere near as long. I thought they did that better mixing in old material. I, they threw in a lot of new. Yeah, I disagree with you guys. I, I actually quite liked the, the clip show elements here. I thought they were – they they packed a, a nice punch. They had some good music cuts behind them. Uh, yeah, it didn't bother me. I thought the music behind them was pretty good. Yeah, though. yeah. It was – yeah. And, and this is a show like the, – the, the music, honestly, in Spectacular Spider-Man generally isn't something to write home about. But I, I thought those pieces that they used during those flashbacks were, were really effective. They always they always <laughs> yeah, Speaking of the music, they ripped off some of the music from the Raimi movies too. Did you catch that? They had like the the classic knockoff version of the uh, especially in the shots where they were like showing the close ups of the little little tendrils coming out of his fingers and stuff. That was ripped straight off from Raimi. Same thing with I, I the uh, the DNA shot and all that stuff. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen... Uh, yeah, I knew about the DNA shot. I haven't seen the Spider-Man 3 since it was in theaters. No, no, the tendril shot was from the first movie. I'm, I'm talking about when he sticks his thumb out and they zoom in and you see, like, little... Oh, yeah. That, that's explain that's, how he I, crawls. I caught it with the DNA. I didn't catch it there. Yeah, yeah, that, that does the same thing where, it, again... It's intentional for sure because they're calling back to the Raimi movies, but copying the music and the visuals and the dialogue makes it seem much more of a ripoff than it's supposed to. I, I don't know, man. I think it's all fair game, if you ask me. That's just the way it works with these types of properties. Uh, I mean, it's all contributing to this greater content mind that later versions will go back to and, and reuse good elements to make, um, you know, other reinventions and, and reinterpretations moving forward. And I have to say, like, um, I think that the the greatest honor that could be bestowed upon Spectacular Spider-Man at this point, um, you know, apart from Greg Wiseman and, and Victor Hook and the other key creatives actually working on Spider-Man moving forward, which is not going to happen, um, is if the, the new MCU Spider-Man movies actually steal stuff from Spectacular Spider-Man, um, which I kind of alluded well, to. Well, to be fair, be fair, and be I, fair, I mean, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man two did, although that didn't really. I help I it. don't agree. I do, well, okay. I have not. I I haven't even seen the Amazing Spider-Man. Electro's <laughs> origin. Uh, how, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, don't. It's real bad. Don't, yeah, don't, I don't. honestly I'm not really interested in anything Spider-Man anymore. It's that. Yeah, that's, yeah okay. well, you know, we could shake hands on that one because <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same like, boat. It's See, just, I, like, I I agree with you to an extent, though. I think that only applies to original elements, though, because I don't. You can't give this show credit for things that they borrowed from other areas, you know what I mean? Like like saying, oh, well, you know, the Spectacular Spider-Man combined the Raimi and comics origins. Well, okay. <laughs> so, Gerard, what you're basically saying is you can borrow from your betters since they both took from Stan Lee, but they shouldn't have borrowed from their peers, i.e. each other. <laughs> nah, that's partially true. I guess what I'm saying is I wish I would have seen them do something a little more original because they've shown they can do that well. Just uh, an example from this very episode, uh, Eddie Brock losing his grant being the motivation for him becoming Venom. That's an original element to the show, I don't recall. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, that wasn't in... There's a little bit of that in Ultimate. I was about to say, there's a little bit of that in Ultimate. But... But they did. I, they never went that far in Ultimate, though. He just sort of yeah. becomes an asshole. <laughs> Yeah, that ultimate. I mean, he he, he was going to be a date rapist even before he got the symbiote. And, oh, uh, ben, well, he was. He was. He like that's not that he's not kidding. He was going to rape Gwen Stacy. <laughs> like that's not that's not something he made up. 
he brought her to his to his uh to his dorm room and she's like, uh yeah, I don't wanna do that. He's like, Oh come on you know, the typical like <laughs> I'm about to rape you, being desperate guy thing. And she's just like, no! <laughs> she's like, beat it, and then she leaves. Thank God, because I didn't need that in, in my Ultimate Comics. Yeah, I mean, Bendis obviously really didn't want to use Venom, and at some point he just relented and said, okay, I'm going to throw them in the air, let's slap them together. This show at least uh, tr- pay- built him up and put a lot more effort into it than Bendis did. I mean, yeah. And Raimi, of course. Because I, like, I don't think that anybody has ever... Yeah. Raimi clearly didn't want to use Venom. Yeah. Oh, he's gone on record over that one. Yeah. Yeah, he still could have made the most of it. I mean, the, the funny thing about Spider-Man 3 was that in a lot of interviews before the movie came out, he seemed to have a lot of interesting ideas of where to take the themes and characters and stuff, and none of it actually showed up in the movie in the end. Well, um, you had to cut out, you had to cannibalize the plot to make to yeah. throw Venom in there. If that movie, yeah. if that movie didn't have a solid release date... Before Spider-Man 2 was even out, it would have been a completely different movie because he would have had time to reconfigure it and add all that stuff. Yeah. But I, I, to, to address what Jesse was saying before about the legacy of this show, I think things like the characterization of Gwen Stacy would, are, is more in tune if we see that going forward, which was an element of the Amazing movies. A bad element, but still an element, you know what I mean? We'll talk about that next. <laughs> right, 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 right. Because this show at least gave Gwen Stacy a character, as opposed to the comics one, who had no character. <laughs> I have a lot to say on that. We'll talk about it next Oh, oh man, I'm just setting you up on a tee. Nice. High five. Yeah. Uh, there, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up before we wrap up, as we seem to be. Um, this was mentioned in the last fan panel. But I, I'm curious to, to know what you guys think about the idea of the symbiote as an alien versus the idea of the symbiote as a genetic experiment from a lab. Because uh, I, I was kind of surprised that you guys seem to be negative about the idea of it being created in a lab versus being an alien. I don't know. I, I, think, I, I think I'm just more used to the alien. I'm not, a bit, I'm not big on it altogether, but if I had to take it, it would be the alien. I just don't quite understand how it works created in, in a lab. and I, I don't know. There's just something about it there that just doesn't shine for me. At least as an alien, I, I can rest okay, it's an alien species. Okay, I get it. Moving on. Um, I'll say this about the creation in a lab. I think that introduces an additional element that would almost always be glossed over, which is that a scientist just created life. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like that, that is a really significant element. And if, if the alien was created in a lab, I guarantee you that would be brushed over. Yeah, but, but in, in this show, it's, and, you know, um, well, okay, in this show in, in particular, um, I mean, the idea that they've discovered extraterrestrial life is kind of downplayed, too. Um, well, but, uh, but that's because the fact that it's extraterrestrial life isn't widely known. I mean, even Aunt May didn't quite believe it, if you remember. She called it just some goop that they found on the side of the space true, shuttle. I mean. Yeah, yeah, the assumption everyone's making is that it's just some kind of biological entity, which I mean, I mean, we, we I mean, found that already in space. The, yeah, yeah, I mean... The I mean, idea that it has sentience and, and emotions and can act on its own would be the extraordinary part, but that's the part no one knows about. Only Spider-Man I mean, and Eddie Brock, etc. I mean, hell, if you record it right now, right now, just yesterday, SETI discovered a signal out in space, and there's some people who are not even really paying attention. To right, it. right, I heard something about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and also, uh, it, it's important, also, the context of the universe, because in the Marvel universe, finding life, alien life in space is nothing, because we've, they're... 
well, there are entire see, races that exist in the Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, these are also early days, so we don't quite know what... So, the Fantastic Four are apparently around already. The Hulk is uh, is out in the desert, but he's still only an urban legend. Xavier's just opened up his school, blah, blah, blah. But right. well, I, I, that's, all, nice. that's all the case in in Greg and the writer's wider vision of it. But as far as like the audience is concerned, the Spider-Man universe, as we see it in Spectacular Spider-Man, is just kind of is self-contained. It's not yeah. to any of these other elements. And in that sense, it's a lot more... It's a very grounded universe, uh, more so than most other superhero adaptations we see, but much more so than, say, Young Justice was, where yeah. the idea of extraterrestrial life is just um, is it, 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 it is almost irrelevant. Uh, because... Yeah, to the point where you have uh, Tim Curry on TV every day exactly. talking yeah. about. I mean, hey, Zach, can you do a uh, Tim Curry impression? But I. But I was just thinking, like the idea of the, the, being an alien life form, I think kind of, kind of, makes it more believable that the the uh, the being would have sentience. Um, right. But on the other hand, it being a genetic experiment is more consistent with sort of the uh, uh, um, the suspension of disbelief that we see in the show. So I don't know. I, I can't. I guess. It's, um, I, I, you know, I think I agree with you. I think I agree with you. But the problem is how you would handle it. After the fact, I think having it be an alien life makes it easier to separate it from people's reaction to it, because if it's not common knowledge that an alien exists, then it wouldn't be a big deal. And in fact, it rarely ever is. I don't think the idea that Venom is a is a fusion of a human and an alien is ever public knowledge in any adaptation, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Whereas, we're, we're, if we're someone, whereas if someone created a, an, a life form in a lab... The fact that, that that scientist, he or she would have to answer to people that supply grants and, you know, people who are funding their experiments and stuff, it would become, and they would, they would throw this in the newspapers immediately, it would become public knowledge really fast and you'd be forced to deal with that big idea I- immediately. It would have to, you would have to see some response to that. That's, that's true, yeah. Yeah, and even Eddie seemed to be surprised by the thing calling to him at the end, so we don't know exactly how sentient even he and the... Dr. Connors thought it was. Mm-hmm. Of course, it, that, it's completely irrelevant by the time we get to this episode anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Sorry, Zach. We, uh, we, uh, we've been sort of... Do- what, do you, what is your opinion on that whole debate? You know, I really don't have much to add to it, honestly. I, I think you guys kind of... <laughs> I, 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 I kind of quietly was in the background just kind of letting you guys go at it. Go on. Yeah, I agree with both sides. <laughs> this is the point where you're sitting there thinking this is the easiest podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is really one of the easiest podcasts I've ever been a part of. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I know you like to have your piece. Yeah. Did we have? Do we have anything else to say about this episode? Uh, do we have? Did anybody give grades on this? No, not yet. We'll, we'll go to that in a second. I, one other little touch I like is, I mean. This is episode of the first time we get a glimpse, although we only hear about it. Sally Avril is beginning to get humanized a little bit. Even Flash says that uh, she was concerned, and she'll have a more human moment when we get into season two. But it's always nice that when characters like that prove that they're not one note. Well, it's nice to know. It's nice to have Sally Avril do something other than become Bluebird and die. <laughs> <laughs> and one day we'll have Mr. Bertoni do a. Do a dramatic reading of that and his impression of Sally Avril's voice. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good lord. <laughs> oh, only Josh can do, you know, male to female voices. <laughs> uh, he's, it, the rest of us are just not as good at it as he is. 
Yeah. That doesn't stop you from trying. <laughs> I know! Nope. But mine, <laughs> Hell, I would... mine, becomes, mine becomes Mickey Mouse, and so, come on, Pluto! <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, uh, have we exhausted everything there is to say for this panel about this episode? I believe we have. Yeah. All right, let's go around the uh, horn for grades. Uh, you gotta call. You gotta call well, I guess I'm gonna give this one a. I'm gonna give it a D. Oh, okay, fair oh. Oh. Let me guess. Before you rewatch, it would have been an F. Yes. Okay, I'm gonna give it a. Uh, I'm giving it a B. <laughs> uh, a plus for me, totally. And the, <laughs> that, the only A plus that, I give to any episode yeah. in this show, too. Oh, wow. Zach. Uh, I would give it a B minus. All right. Overall, Gerard, I'm disappointed in you. I thought I was expecting more of a fight. I was expecting more controversy. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, the problem with controversy is I said too many things that make sense. <laughs> if I was just railing about like, ah, you know what really sucks about this episode? There's too many blacks in it, and then you know we would have had a fight. But like, <laughs> oh good lord! <laughs> Why you should never hype up controversy. Reminder. Gerard is black. <laughs> yeah, stop, he's stop hedging, you bastard. <laughs> all right. Uh, I said that you'd be like all up, up my ass. Literally. I have N-word. Zach, 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 I have N-word privileges and you don't. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> and on that note, we'll, we'll be back next month with Mr. Betteridge to discuss nature versus nurture. Woo-hoo! That old debate. <laughs> Yeah, your aunt's sick. Poor puny Parker. Even Sally feels bad for you. But not me. If you're hanging up on the she-geek, that proves you're still a stuck-up egghead. A guy who can't even see when his friends are trying to help. Coming down in three, two, one. Welcome back to the pre-ultimate episode of season one of The Spectacular Radio. It's penultimate, you you dyslexic. Ah! <laughs> okay. Coming down in three, two, one. Welcome back to the penultimate episode of the fan panels of the Spider-Man Curls. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> you never introed the Spider-Man Curls Face podcast. I, know, How- I don't know why I did that. That's just Freudian slip. We were just talking about it. <laughs> this is going to be good blooper material, Greg. <laughs> I hope you're going to take notes.